Hey, Coastal's family. My name is Jeff, and uh, I'm grateful to be with you tonight for Community at Coast, but I'm more excited because I get to introduce to you one of my best friends, uh, one of my dearest friends. His name is Bobby Bemis, and he'll be teaching tonight for Community at Coast. And so I want to introduce you. We've known each other for what? Long time. Long time. 20 years? Probably about 20 years, yeah. Amazing. And uh, one of the things that I love that we used to get to do is uh, we do this thing called a pop sermon. We put a bunch oh, of teachings man. in a hat. Uh, whether it was a passage of scripture or topics, right? Yeah, and, oh, I forgot uh, about that. We then pulled them out of the hat, and then we had what about an hour to study, to study, and to make a teaching, and then we shared it with each other. And this was always at ten o'clock at night. Yeah, late, late, <laughs> late at night. And uh, so tonight we didn't do that, uh, but I know that he spent a lot of time preparing uh, just an incredible teaching for you. And so grateful for the time that we're going to be able to spend tonight with him. Man, you're awesome. Thank Love you. Love you, man. Love you too. Yeah. A lot. I, I really wish I could tell you all of the reasons why I love Jeff, but he really is as, um, as awesome as he seems. <laughs> really a great brother. Uh, we're just gonna look at the word of God today because the word of God leads us to the son of God. And this is why we, this is why we study. So would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, we love you. We love you and you are the reason why we gather. You're the reason why we read. You're the reason why we wait. You are worth it, Lord, every moment. And I know that your heart is to reveal. You came to reveal the Father. Holy Spirit, you reveal the Son. It's just this beautiful step-by-step learning with you. And I need to know, I need to learn, I need to see you. So open up our hearts today to receive as if it was the first time, Jesus, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored. All this is for you. And I can do nothing apart from you. We can do nothing apart from you, but we have you. So we We just posture ourselves to receive today. Would you be blessed in Jesus' name? Amen. Uh, We're gonna look at Luke 15 today. um, And the sermon, I just kind of titled it based on what we see. And it's just three words. It's lost, found, rejoice. And you can see this all throughout the chapter. Uh, So we're gonna dive in. I wanted to say this before we start. Um, John 5, 39, the Lord put this on my heart, I believe as a reminder for us. Um, but I just wanted to say that this is, this is more than just the study of a book. This is more than just the study of the Bible. It's, it's a study of the man, Jesus, because this is unto knowing him. And if we study this for any other reason than to know the Lord, then, then really we're just um, acquiring knowledge and knowledge puffs us up, but love grows us up. It edifies us, it builds us up to be like him. So with every word that we read, with every chapter that we go through, with every point that the spirit brings to our minds and to our hearts today, it is for the goal of knowing him and seeing him and loving him. We can study a million different books. The difference between this is the author is alive and present and revealing himself even today. So um, Jesus, please keep our hearts fixed on that very thing. Um, if you could write down uh, John, um, I apologize, Luke 15, Matthew 11, and Ephesians 2. Once again, that's Luke 15, Matthew 11, and Ephesians 2. Those are gonna be our three elements where we're gonna kind of center around today. Um, the reason why I bring up John 5, <laughs> the reason why I bring up John 5.39 is because Jesus is warning the Pharisees that they've studied and studied the scriptures, but they missed him in it. He said that they search the words, they search the scriptures, believing that in them they have eternal life, but they testify of me. 
So as we read this, we're learning not just of the words of scripture, we're learning of the man they speak of and his name is Jesus. So if you've written those down already, Luke 15, Matthew 11 and Ephesians 2. I wanna start in Ephesians 2. So can you flip over there with me? And this is just gonna be a section of scripture where Paul glorifies Jesus for what he's done and who he is. And this is the perfect way to start this message today. So open up to Ephesians 2. And before we read, I want you to remember that our testimonies are united in this truth that we were once dead and now we're alive. So it doesn't really matter the pieces or the differences and the details. It matters who he is, where he's rescued us from and where he's rescued us to. So I wanna read this and let it be for the first time. Ephesians 2, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. Yes, you are saved by grace. He's also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So today we focus on the immeasurable riches of his grace that took us from death into life, that took us from being lost into then being found. So flip over to Luke 15. I wanna set you up for where we're gonna be walking through today. Flip over with us, we're in Luke 15. There are a few feelings that compare to the feeling of losing something being convinced that you'll never find it and then stumbling across it after you've torn the whole house apart, after you've looked everywhere, you've exhausted every option, you've called every friend, you've backtraced all your steps and you've found nothing. And then one day or after hours of searching, you find it. There's few feelings that compare to this. It's an emotional roller coaster of having it, losing it, grieving it, being reunited with it. I was spending time with Pastor Chet over the past couple of days. And, and if you haven't met his dogs yet, one of them is basically a miniature bear. It, it's, it's like most people walk dogs, but this dog walks Chet. It's, 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 if dogs could be measured in tons, um, this is like a, a small elephant. So his name is Baloo and named after the Jungle Book. So he really is, he's this gigantic mountain dog. And, and we arrive at the house. We were spending some time together and, and one of the dogs went right in, knew where to go. And Baloo decided that before he would go inside, he wanted to explore. So he decided running around the neighborhood and, and Chet didn't think that it was much of a you know, big deal because Baloo does that sometimes. He's very well-trained well and he's very obedient. So immediately um, we go inside the house. He starts calling Baloo a few minutes later, doesn't come in. And we realized that he really wanted to go have an adventure. So we start then tearing apart the neighborhood, trying to find Baloo. We can't find him anywhere. And I, I once had a pretty long experience of having lost my dog, thinking that there's no way we're gonna find her. And then if you have a dog, you know what I'm talking about. And so we can't find Baloo. 
anywhere. And just before Baloo went missing, Chet looked at me and said, you know, I don't always consider myself a, like a dog person, but Baloo's special. I love Baloo. Five minutes later, Baloo's gone. And I'm convinced. I mean, he could have run into the woods. Will he ever come back? And when I, we split up, I went to look this way, Chet went to look this way. And when I came back and found Chet ecstatic that Baloo had been found, it was, it was this picture of loss, uncertainty, searching out. We search for that which we consider valuable and finding. And his whole countenance changed. And there was Baloo, not even having known the difference, back with us again. And when we're gonna read through Luke 15, you're gonna see that the heart of the Father is the same way. And the heart of the Son is the same way. And the heart of the Holy Spirit is the same way. They are the celebrators of the found lost. So open it up with me. We're gonna start Luke 15. We're gonna start in verses one and two. Luke 15 verse one starts with this. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And the first thing I see when I read this is the approachability of Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners were super comfortable coming right up to him. And they had seen religious leaders before. They had been around Pharisees and Sadducees and they wanted nothing to do with the tax collectors, with the sinners. They, they kept distance, they wouldn't associate. But Jesus, our Jesus is so approachable. It reminds me of Matthew 11, verse 28. I wanna flip there, um, but, but it, it recounts and it describes the, the beauty of Jesus and who he receives and who he rejects. And you'll see very soon that there is no one on the ladder. It's Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He says, come everybody. If you're tired and weary, come and I will restore rest to you again. So we see here come the tax collectors. Here come the sinners. They feel right at home being with Jesus. And what's funny is the chapter right before, if you look at Luke Chapter 14 in, uh, in verses 25 through 35, we see that Jesus, he explains, this is what it's gonna cost if you wanna follow me. He says in verse 33, every one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He makes it really clear and says, if you wanna follow me, then you get all of me, but you get nothing else because I will be your everything. And you think that that would just send everybody away, but no. The tax collectors, the sinners come closer. They lean in even closer to say, what is this man about? What is he gonna give away? What does he believe? Who is this man? They're intrigued. We've never heard anybody like this before. Then you see the Pharisees in verse two. The Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Notice their response is, how could he? They're like almost saying if this man knew the company he was dwelling with, he would, he would immediately leave. So either he doesn't know who they are or this man is obviously messed up in his priorities because why would you spend time with who they considered to be the scum of the earth? But you see, Jesus is a different kind of king. Most kings might tolerate their subjects, but our king, he celebrates them. He says, come in close. I wanna speak to you. I wanna be with you. Come unto me. It's funny, we talk so much about us receiving Jesus. We need to receive Jesus, but we forget sometimes to start with the most 
incredible thing that he receives us, that he says, come to me, come to me. There's nothing to prove. There's nothing to show. I've done it all. Come unto me. The Pharisees didn't know why Jesus came. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, I came to seek and save those that were lost. And it's interesting, the Pharisees may have even been open to part of Jesus' message, but Christ associated himself with the people that they refused to. And that bugged them so much that they wouldn't listen at all. It's kind of like if you're invited to a friend's house for dinner, you're immediately excited because the host is someone that you greatly love. You can't wait to spend time with them. And then you find out who else is on the guest list and immediately the excitement, it drops. And it's interesting to think that maybe we're associating so much with the status of being invited and not quite as much with the person who invited us to begin with. The Pharisees had come to be seen. This is, why, this is why they lived. This is why they walked. This is why they did what they did. Look at me. And the Pharisees and the sinners came to see. The Pharisees came to be seen. The tax collectors, excuse me, and the sinners came to see him. They came to see him. How do we approach even our gatherings? Are we coming to be seen? Are we coming to see the risen King? I wanna step into this room. I wanna step into our services, our gatherings. I wanna step into the quiet place in my home. I wanna come with the heart to see him, not to be seen. And the Pharisees had yet to learn that. If an invitation is lessened in value by the invitation of another, then maybe we're there for the status and not the presence of the one who invited us. And then notice in verse three, instead of defending himself, it says, Jesus then told him a parable. So there the Pharisees were grumbling, complaining. That word complaining means to murmur. It means they're almost off to themselves, just, just kind of grumbling their frustrations. I wonder if the whole crowd knew what they were saying, probably by their looks. I'm sure the tax collectors and the sinners were very used to receiving those comments. Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, is now being accused by this religious sect that I'm sure brought him so much grief. Those that took the people from seeing the Lord. And instead of Jesus, I mean, he could have just ripped them apart and instead he doesn't. He doesn't even defend himself. And that's, I mean, that is so my tendency. I feel like the Lord has to constantly say, Bobby, stop. If you defend yourself, you're not letting me do it. But so much, if my reputation is touched, I'm like, okay, who do I gotta go talk to to rectify this? Because they have bad information. Jesus, he didn't care. The father was his defense. I think about when he was before Pilate in Mark 15, Jesus said nothing. Even Isaiah said that when he was before his, his accusers, just like a sheep before the shears, he, he said nothing. He just took it. It wasn't worth his time. He knew what the father said and that was enough. And so you see Jesus love come out now as he starts to speak a parable to them. Instead of tearing them apart, he's like, I'm gonna teach them for love was a greater motivation than anything else. We were in Matthew um, 11 earlier. Can we flip over just one more time? I want you to see the preceding verse. If you still have a a finger in that page, flip over. Matthew 11, um, verse 27, the verse right before. Jesus says this, all things, all things, that's crazy. Everything has been entrusted to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and 
Anyone to whom the son desires to reveal him, Jesus himself is the only reason we know the father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so now we're about to step into a story in which Jesus says, I want you to see my father. I want you to see my father. He's letting us in. Some of the mysteries that had existed for years beforehand, Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm gonna answer these questions for you. My father's like me. Listen to this story, this parable. We're gonna start in verse uh, verse three in a moment, but I want you to know the purpose of parables before we start, because you're gonna see um, some of the language that Jesus uses and and some of the ways that he describes things. And in Matthew 13, um, actually, I'm gonna read it to you. Matthew 13, Jesus explains the purpose of parables because they asked him, why are you speaking to us in these, in these riddles? Why are you speaking in these ways? Matthew 13, verse 10, the disciples came up and asked him, why are you speaking to them in parables? And he answered, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. Forever has, more will be given to him and he will be, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That is why I speak to them in parables because looking they do not see and hearing they do not listen or understand. And Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive for this people's heart has grown callous and their eyes, their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes Jesus is speaking in parables because he wants those who are listening and looking to be the receivers of the truth. But not everybody was. The Pharisees weren't there to learn. They were there to rebuke. They were there to, to, um, to judge. They were there to stir up. And Jesus is about to reveal to us the Father to those who are listening. So you can be excited about this. We're about to step into like, this is beautiful language. The first time this was explained and heard, people were walking away, blown away. We didn't realize that God was like this. You're gonna see three parables here. It says in verse three, he told them this parable, but you're gonna see three stories. It's broken down into different sections. It's one parable, but three parables. It's one story, but three stories. And I love it. Some scholars even say that one is attributed to the son, one is attributed to the spirit and one is attributed to the father that we can see the nature of all three in one, three parables, one parable, it's kind of beautiful. So I want you to read with me and see. We're gonna start in verse four. And before we do, can we just ask Jesus to give us soft hearts? Because when I'm reminded of the fact that parables don't fall on hard hearts, closed ears, closed eyes, I don't wanna be that. So If you're with me and you want to receive this today, then can we just agree and ask him, Jesus, soften our hearts, remove the callous, remove the hard shell that's been formed, maybe even from hearing it a million times. Let it be as if the first time that you break through to my heart, that you show me your goodness, Jesus. Let it be so real. You are alive. And so we receive as from a living Christ. We don't read as if you were a historical figure, dead and gone forever. You are with us even now, Spirit of God. You were sent to bring remembrance of all the words that Jesus spoke. So right now, please give us the heart of Christ as we read his words. We're so grateful. Thank you for pages that recount the nature of Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Show us who you are in this, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Verse four. 
I love this. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. And when he's found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Okay, let's look at this. Jesus speaks a parable to them. He tells a story about a shepherd. We know that he is the good shepherd, Psalm 23. He's patient and kind. He's strong and true. He leads us. He protects us. He feeds us. He saves us. He's perfect. He is the good shepherd of our souls. Then you see a hundred sheep, one of which decided to go do his own thing. The 99 were left by the shepherd in the wilderness. I want you to understand these 99 are supposed to resemble the Pharisees, the religious, the priests, the scribes, those who have the appearance of righteousness. And then you have the one that goes off. But the 99 were left in the wilderness. It's important to note that. In the open field, some of your your translations will say, and this is one way to say, they're still not in the clear. (laughs) They still need their shepherd to bring them back home into the pen, into the place of safety. But for the time, he goes off to find the one. And the one is supposed to represent the tax collectors, the sinners, those who have been listening, the the rejects of the community, those that Jesus found in their sin, the sick, the lost, all those that have been thrown away. Jesus is speaking to them here. And it's beautiful because if you're like me, you know where you fall. I am the sheep. I am the sheep that wandered off. I didn't even know what I was doing half the time. Sheep are known to be really dumb. We know this. This is, I don't think this is Jesus' way of insulting everybody. He's just speaking plainly. The second a sheep wanders off and goes into the bush or, I mean, probably near cliffs, they don't know what they're doing. They don't even know how to get back. They probably barely know how to breathe. If their heart didn't beat on its own, they'd probably collapse. Sheep need to be protected and led and fed. Sometimes sheep need to literally like have their head lowered into the stream so they can drink. They're not very smart. They're soft and cuddly, but they're not very smart. And so I see this. I see the shepherd leave the 99 sheep and go after the one. And it's tough because we're not like shepherds, you know? So we're like, part of me would wonder, well, how far did it go? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And the good shepherd of our souls says, yes, one of my sheep is plenty for me to leave the 99 behind and go find because Jesus is the seeker. You're gonna see as we go through this whole chapter, you're gonna see these three elements, lost, found, rejoice. Lost, found, rejoice. And Jesus came to seek and save those that were lost So these are the the parties we see at play. I wanna give you three points and I believe that this is something that Jesus wants to minister to us through. So would you write these down with me? The first one is this, Jesus is better than we know. Jesus is better than we know. He's so much better than we know. I don't even know how to say it in in, in a way that our language can capture. He is so much better. The second we think we have a grasp on his goodness, we speak of it sometimes with such flippancy. Oh yeah, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And it's so true. But the words don't always sink in deep. It's the same way we speak of his love. We, we recite John three sixteen. God so loved the world. He so loved the world 
but eventually it can feel like a transaction and less like the heart of the father. He is better than we know. It reminds me of Luke 14. If you wanna flip over and just, just look at verse five, Jesus says, um, I love this. He's about to heal somebody on the Sabbath. He's so good. He's about to heal somebody on the Sabbath and he feels in the room that the Pharisees are looking at him. Like they're, they're thinking to themselves, that guy, that guy better not heal that guy on the Sabbath. It's so, it's how, how crazy to think about this. There's a man in the synagogue. It says that he had swelling issues. So his body was swollen with fluid. I'm sure that was incredibly painful and probably incredibly embarrassing. And Jesus walks in the room and sees not a man far away, but a man that he loves. He sees a man that needs healing. He doesn't even think about the Sabbath. Like, where are we coming to? And the Pharisees are like, no, 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 you're not allowed to heal them. As if they even, I mean, goodness, they never healed anybody. Like what authority do they have to, to speak into the supernatural of healing? But he could feel their eyes on him. And so I love what Jesus says. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. They had no idea what to say. They were stumped. They were shocked. They were probably thinking, no, it's not allowed. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the Pharisees is like, it's not allowed, but I kind of want to see it happen. <laughs> That's what I would be like. They had no idea what to say, right? So he took the man and it says he healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could find no answer to these things. Jesus was saying, like, you all are the same way. If your son falls into a well and is drowning, are you gonna say, oh, it's the Sabbath day, I can't help him. That's a bummer. I wish it was Tuesday. And maybe he even said ox, obviously that can't be compared, but maybe for those that didn't have children. Sometimes certain livestock feel like kids to you. If, if one of your pets fell in the well, it's like, oh, I, I can't. 10 more minutes and the Sabbath will be done. You could do it. Hold on down there. I'll throw you a life raft or something. You wouldn't even think about it. Your love would overcome anything else for you to save the one that you care about. This is our Jesus. He's so much better than we know. It's like, he tells us these stories to say, I'm like this. I'm like this. Even when the Pharisees are complaining, I can't believe Jesus eats with these people. How could he eat with these people? We know the tax collectors, if you don't know, they would rip off their own people in order to pay the Romans and keep some for themselves. And when that phrase sinners is used, it's, 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 it could be a litany of things, but those that fell into sexual sin or dishonest sin, murderers and stealers, extortioners. And Jesus is saying, I love them. The Pharisees are complaining. So Jesus speaks this, this first part, especially to say, you don't know my father. Cause if you did, you wouldn't be complaining. You would have a different response. Jesus was constantly correcting the notion that God isn't good. This is a lie from the beginning of time. When the serpent said, did God really say that? Are you sure God's motive for you is pure? Are you sure? And the same lie is still whispered to the hearts of legalists and those far away from the Lord and every side of the spectrum, is God really good? Is he good enough to save you? Probably not. Is God really good enough to love you even if you don't do everything perfect? Probably not. The enemy whispers these lies. Everything comes down to the goodness of God. So one, Jesus is better than we know. And I'm telling you what, there's so much more I believe the Lord's gonna speak. But if I had to say one thing, I would say, please ask him about that. He's so much better. He's so much better than we think. He is. We will never come to the full awareness of it. Number two, write this down. Jesus counted the cost and you were worth it. How beautiful is that? Jesus counted the cost and you were 
worth it. Wow. And he's more than just a teacher. He's a leader. So in, in chapter 14 of Luke, when he says, every one of you who doesn't leave everything behind cannot become my disciple. Jesus did it first. Jesus left all to find you so that you could then leave all to follow him. He's more than just a teacher. He's a leader. He did it first. And this is more than just a transaction. This is the desperate pursuit of a God in love with you. I love this. No one pulls God's arm. He does what he wants to do. David knew it so much and he reveled in it. Listen to what David says in it's Psalm 18. This verse has captured me all year. He says, the Lord has brought me out to a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Because he delighted in me. He didn't say he rescued me because he was obligated to. He said, he rescued me because he wanted to. That word delight in the Hebrew, it means to enjoy, to desire, to long for. The Lord rescued David because he loved him. In the same way, the good shepherd goes and finds the sheep because he loves him or loves her. The sheep can't rescue himself or herself. The Lord delights in doing it. And the third thing I want you to write down is this, Jesus rejoices over you. He rejoices over you. Listen to the response. I wanted to say it again. Verse six, it says, he came home and he called his friends and neighbors together and said to them, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. I mean, he goes in people's houses and like knocks on their doors and says, come on, I'm having a party. And they're like, whose birthday is it? He's like, no, 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 I found my lost sheep. He can't, I mean, he can't contain his excitement. Have you ever lost something or found something after the fact? And you were so excited, you just had to call somebody, you know? Like, who's that person you call immediately? You pull out your cell phone and you're like, I need to tell so-and-so. And you're like, remember that thing I lost? I found it. There's a joy in knowing that someone found or was found. Jesus rejoices over you. And the joy of the finding is so great. We see it in this picture. He had to tell all of his friends, the delight of reunion had overtaken him. And this is how Jesus feels about you. I want you to hear this again. He's countering the complaining of the Pharisees with the celebration of the son. He's saying, I'm not like this. I'm not like this. Isaiah 62, it speaks of the, of the delight of the bridegroom over the bride. I'll read it for you. It's verse five, Isaiah 62, five. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. He's speaking to Zion, to Israel, and the same heart beats for you with love inexpressible. Listen, just when we think we have a grasp on it, he opens up our eyes a little more and says, you don't know how much I love you. You don't know how good I am, you don't know. And he's just by his grace day by day saying, learn of me, listen, come be with me so I can show you how much I delight in you. So we see the parable of the lost sheep. He moves on to the parable of the lost coin. Listen in verse eight. What woman has 10 silver coins? If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin that I lost. And I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Do you see the same language here? Something was lost, it was found and the finder rejoiced, rejoiced. The heart of these parables is not only to say how lost we are, it's to say how delighted the father is, the son is, the spirit is in finding us. Can you imagine, just picture for a moment, the heart of Jesus, the face of Jesus with joy inexpressible at the thought of you being found. At the father, think of him, not as stoic, but as, as exuberant, excited that you are his. It's amazing. 
The 10 coins uh, that we see referenced, um, we believe that they were worn around the head of a married woman. This was almost a sign of, of, of the love of marriage. Uh, a sign to say, I'm married and devoted to my husband. It was, it was a, a, a great delight. And one of those coins went missing. Can you imagine like the heartbreak? I can't find it. I can't find it anywhere. Maybe it was out of neglect. Maybe it was an accident, but either way it's gone. And, and just imagine, put yourself in the picture. You're in the room and she gets her broom and she sweeps up and she moves everything aside and she will not sleep until she finds. Why? Because it's valuable to her. She sweeps and she looks and she lifts. And finally, there it is. The most precious thing she had was complete again. She loved it. She looked for it. The lamp that she used represents the searching heart of the Holy Spirit through the bride of Christ as his people are brought, are brought home. I think it's beautiful. You see the sun as the shepherd in the first one. You see the spirit of God as the illumination of the lamp held by the bride of Christ to find his people and come home. Do you know the feeling maybe of, of a family heirloom or a ring or something that went lost that shouldn't have? And like the terror, you know, like the first place we go to is I'm never gonna find it. And then you start having to adjust to the fact that I'm, I may never see it again. And maybe it's something that's worth nothing to you monetarily, but it's worth everything to you. Maybe it has a memory attached. Maybe it's something that, that uh, a, a parent that's passed on gave to you, a last connection maybe, and you can't find it. And, and, and there are moments where you're like, I'll pay anything to get it. Maybe it's something so much more significant. Maybe it's a child left at the mall, my parents are so wonderful and they never left me anywhere. But I remember, I think for one split moment in the mall, I couldn't find my mom. And the idea of being lost was overwhelming. Tears flow immediately. But when you're found, everything changes. Can you write this down? Because I think this is so beautiful. We look for what we long for. We look for what we long for. Jesus would say it like this in Matthew 6. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that phrase just opens up my mind so quickly to the amount of things I long for. And sometimes it just seems like I long for them more than him. The way I spend my time, the way, um, the things that I look at and focus on, the worries of tomorrow, the regrets of the past, I'm spending too long looking at the wrong thing. But John the Baptist said it, Baptist said it perfectly. He said, behold the lamb, look at the lamb. And if that coin meant nothing to her, she wouldn't look. If the lamb meant nothing to him, he wouldn't look. But they meant everything to them. And so they searched until they were found. This is how the father, this is how the son, this is how the spirit feels about you. It's more than just a transaction. Oh my goodness. We, we have discredited and discounted him and, and, and such a disservice to him so much when we remove him from his love. And he's showing that to us. Thank you, Jesus, for showing that to us day by day. Note that again, the celebration, the excitement that she had. Everybody come look. I wonder if she just started knocking on people's doors. Maybe people she didn't even know. I need to tell you something. I found the coin. You know, what's crazy is sometimes in the story, we can also be the neighbors, you know? And we can take part in the celebration of the find instead of the, the Pharisees who just grumbled. They don't deserve to be near him. If only he knew, they don't deserve it. I wanna be the neighbor, you know? I wanna be the neighbor that the, the Lord knocks on my door and says, guess what? And I say, what? And he says, you know, Mikey, he came back, come on. But instead, sometimes I feel like uh, maybe we find our identity in 
how much better we are than that person. I don't know if it's maybe something that just is spread throughout humanity, but there are those parts in us apart from Christ that can even celebrate the demise of another because it makes our success feel better. And this is the righteousness of the Pharisees. It was founded upon the unrighteousness of the others. They stopped looking at the Lord and they started looking at everybody else. Oh, don't you want to celebrate with him? I do. I so badly do. We're going to look at verses 11 on now. And this is where the Lord takes it one step further. He talked about an animal being lost. He talked about a precious metal being lost. And now he talks about something so much more significant, the human soul. Listen to verses 11 and 12. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. And so he distributed the assets to them. A man has two sons. We just met the younger. We'll meet the older a little bit later on. But the younger one comes up and says, the money, the inheritance that will be mine, I want it now. Now in those times, the father would give the larger portion of the inheritance to the firstborn and then he would divvy it up the rest to the other children. That would happen oftentimes at the death of the father. But the father could also give that earlier on. But what never happened is a son saying, I want it now. I want the goods now. In essence, he was saying, I'd rather you be dead, but since you're not, I can't wait that long. So give me what is mine and I will leave. And this father, I mean, to, to think that the father would agree maybe filled with such love for his son. I don't know, maybe with grief in his heart, he split it up and he gave the portions out. We see verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had, traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. I try to put myself in the father's shoes and I start to think like, I, I wonder if, if you have ever felt, I have, abused or, or used is a better word, I suppose, for what I have more so than who I am. You ever meet someone like that where you just know they're trying to get to your stuff more than you? Um, or maybe get to your skills more than you? You haven't talked in forever and you get a message from them. Hey, I've been thinking about you. And immediately you're like, I, I miss this person. And you write back, I, it's so good to hear from you. And then the next text is, yeah, I was wondering if you could help me with something. <laughs> and you're like, what about me? I, I'm a person. We haven't talked in two years. And the first thing you say is, what can you do for me? I wonder if after raising his son, the father must be heartbroken at the idea. Is my value to you purely the goods that I hold? What about me? I wonder if we do that to the father too. How often? We come to him for his goods and not him when he is the good. We come for his things, his blessings, and we idolize the blessing over the blesser. And, and this is why we, we become discontented because the one who was always meant to satisfy and fill us has been pushed aside for the temporary. I don't wanna be like that. And I know you don't either. They're hearing Jesus speak and the Pharisees are thinking now, um, they must be seething thinking about the rebellion of this son. Verse 14, it says, he spent everything and a severe famine struck that country. And then he had nothing. The Pharisees are listening to a boy that, that did everything wrong. And I'm sure they're just, their nerves are probably sticking out of their neck. They know the law. The law said if a son were to rebel against his father in that way, stoning, 
is the proper response. So they're probably thinking, all right, Jesus, the first two stories were a little weird, but, but what about now? What about now? Are they gonna get the rocks? Are they gonna teach that boy a lesson? I'm sure they were incredibly uncomfortable. The boy walked in rebellion. He walked in rebellion. Rebellion is our decision. And we walk in rebellion because we don't know the father. We choose rebellion because we haven't seen him as he is. We don't know how good he is because everything we seek, he is the fulfillment of it in perfection. So the reason why we seek money is because we haven't met the treasure of heaven. We haven't seen his worth. The reason why we seek comfort is because we, we've never experienced the true comfort of his love. The reason why we're trying to keep our lives together is because we don't know that he's the one that keeps our lives together. We're trying to guard our reputation. We're trying to fight for a reputation that, that, that keeps getting better and better and fight away all the accusations. And we're trying to, we're trying to protect the reputation because we're, we're maybe more in love with the words of man than the words of the one who made us. And of course we would say like, no, none of those things are true, but, but our actions dictate otherwise, they just do. How much is it worth it to you? And the father says, my beloved, I love you. I choose you. I celebrate you. That should be the most beautiful thing my ears can hear. And he speaks it over us. And yet we're like, nah, can you give me something else? Look at verse 15. Um, he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to eat his fill from the pods that, that the pigs were eating from it and no one would give him anything. He had nothing. He lost it all. Deprivation leads to desperation all the time. We have nothing, so we're willing to do anything. And this is what sin does. This is what rebellion does. This is what anything apart from the father does is it, is it robs you and it steals from you. And, and remember it says the son went to a different kingdom. This is, this is symbolic. He left the kingdom of his father and lived in the kingdom of another. That means a different king, a different culture. And when you live by another kingdom, all you're gonna experience is stealing, killing and destruction because you're, you're submitting to a different king. So there he is with nothing. He's feeding pigs. He's a Jewish boy. You don't, you don't do that. That's not kosher. And he's desperate to eat. He's looking at the slop of the pigs saying, I wish I could have a bite of that, but no one would give him anything. The, the, just think about it. The pigs were fed better than him. The pigs had higher status than he did. Oh, it kills me. And I'm sure the father is just, think about it. The father knew there was a famine in another kingdom and his heart's breaking for his lost son. Verse 17, it says, he came to his senses and said, oh, I love that line. Have you ever come to your senses before? I have. And it's like everything clicks. He came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. He wakes up, he wakes up and he says, Look, think about my, my father has, no one lacks anything in my father's house. 
from the sons to the servants, to the hired servants. And those are different. Regular servants were different. They lived on the premises. They were almost part of the family. Hired servants were, hired servants could be fired at any time. They were hired for the day. They were the lowest form of service. And he says that, I'll just be that. I don't even have to stay in the home. I'll just show up, do my, do my job and leave. And, and at least I'll have food. At least I'll eat something. But this grieves me because there's a level of humility that erupts, but there's also a level of ignorance that he doesn't know his father. He says, maybe, maybe my father as a businessman will hire me back on. Maybe I'll get on payroll, maybe. But it's better than this, so I'll try it. Grieves me. He didn't know his father after all those years. But he's about to, and I love this because the story changes. It says in verse 20 that he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring out the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's, here's that word again, celebrate, rejoice with the feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. I just want you to like put yourself in the story again. Don't just read it like a dead book. Read it like it's living and active as it is. Put yourself in the story. The father saw him afar off. It meant that he was looking for him. He was looking, he was waiting, he was expecting, he was hoping. And then he saw in the distance, he didn't wait. He ran. And this is what's so beautiful to me too. In those times, the elderly men and women didn't run. This was a sign of, uh, if you wanna walk in honor, you don't rush. Other people rush for you. You don't rush. But he was so taken back by love, he couldn't do anything else. (laughs) He couldn't wait. He just ran. True love throws off dignity. (laughs) It just throws it to the side. True love doesn't care what what you look like anymore. You just run. David did it too. I love it. In 2 Samuel 6, it says he danced before the Lord when the tabernacle, sorry, when the Ark of the Covenant, mind me, um, was returned back into the city. David didn't hesitate. He danced. And many would say danced kind of like a crazy person. His wife called him out on it and said, look how foolish you look. And he said, I, I, I will, I'll become even more undignified. I'll look even more like a fool. I don't even care. David was just absolutely enamored. And so, we see the same thing in the heart of the father, running to him like David. I love this too. Do you see when it says that he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him? That word kissed is, is, I have it here. (laughs) Wait, where is it? It's kata phileo. Phileo comes from the the word love. Kata over and over. The word together kata phileo means kisses over and over repeatedly. So, so the father runs up to him and before words could even be exchanged, I'm sure the son's thinking, what do I say? I haven't, I haven't practiced. All right, I'm gonna go up there and I'm gonna say to him, father, I've sinned. And so I wouldn't be surprised if here comes the father and the son's like, Fa. and even before something could come out, the, 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 son, the, the um, father just grabs him, throws his arms around the neck and just kisses him over and over and over. He's so grateful and in love that this is all that comes out. And then he gets the robe. It says the best robe, right? Whose robe is that? It's the father's. He gets the ring. What ring? Probably the signet ring of the family, the, the sign of authority. He gets the sandals. That, that's a sign of, of, um, of um, ownership because masters were the ones that, that wore sandals. They were a luxury. 
And then he says, get the fattened calf. That was a special occasion. That would feed the whole village. Save it for something special, a wedding, a child. But the return of his son was more than enough. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You see the heart of the father rejoicing. Did you know that he rejoices like this over you? The heart of this chapter is not just to say how lost you were. It's to say how much he delights in you. He delights in you. And whether it was lost at a time past or even lost now, you may have been walking with Jesus for so long and you feel like you're more lost than you've ever been. He delights in seeing you found again. Come home, come home to him. And then this happens. This is the, I believe the climax of the story. I believe the first three sections led into this because this whole time Jesus responding, remember to the Pharisees complaining, he was saying, I'm not like that. Listen in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of his servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother's here, they told them. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Maybe he's saying that thinking, the servant's saying that thinking that the older son's gonna join in the celebration. But instead it says he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Imagine, imagine. The older son has seen the whole thing go down. He saw the day when the younger son asked for the inheritance. He saw how the father had to rip apart his business, his land, his money in order to accommodate this request. He saw the father's grief for who knows how long after that. He knows how much the younger son pained his father. And now he gets the news that he's back. And the response is joy. And it doesn't make sense to him. How can you be joyful? How can you receive him back? Don't you know what he's done? Don't you know what kind of man he is? Listen to what he says. Verse 29, he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Listen to the language that the father speaks to the son. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Listen to the two responses. The older son says this, this son of yours, jealousy breeds division. It's poison. The moment that the Lord reveals to you jealousy in your heart, you give that to him. Give it to him quick, confess it, give it to him and allow him to change your thinking because you'll no longer say that's my brother. You'll start calling them by other names. In this case, he's not even associating with him. He's saying that son over there of yours, that son of yours did this. It's like his brother was still dead to him. It's as if the older son was saying, it's not fair. I have been better than him. I have done more. I have been slaving. I have been working. Notice that in this moment of desperation, he doesn't go to his sonship. He goes to his identity as a servant. Man, 
He was too focused on his own attempt at goodness to appreciate the goodness of his father. He didn't know the goodness of his dad. It bothered him too much. It's not fair, dad. I deserve more. And the father was saying, everything I have has always been yours. Your son's coming home does not rob you of my love. I've always and will always love you. And listen to what the father said. First, notice that he went and found his son. That's what a good father does. He always knows where his kids are. And our father always knows where we are. His eyes search to and fro all the earth. He knows. He goes and finds his son because the father wouldn't celebrate unless his sons were with him. I love that. He's always looking. And then he says, son, it means child. It's a term of affection. It's as if he's saying, listen to me, my baby, listen. I love you. And the blessing of the way you live your life is not my things. It's knowing me. It's knowing me. You see, his loyalty to his father never led him to love. His his duty to his father never led him to delight. He didn't know how good his dad was. He was surprised. He was shocked. Neither son knew. So I wanted to say this and write this down. Proximity is different than intimacy. This is where everything kind of comes to a close. Notice you can spend time in the father's house and not know his heart or reflect his character. You can be close to him without knowing him. Just like many will say at the end of time, Lord, I've done so much for you. I've cast out demons in your name. He's like, I didn't know you. Proximity is so much different than intimacy. Be careful. The father wasn't looking for more servants. He just wanted his sons. The eldest, he was trying to earn the good things of the father by serving him. The youngest was trying to to get the good things of the father by in essence, killing him. But neither one of them knew the good is the father himself. Both sons succeeded at delighting in, in his good things, but they did not delight in him. He is the good. It's ironic how often God needs to teach us of how good he is. The Pharisees accuse him of eating with sinners and he's like, yeah, I am that good. I am that good. I'm that good. Lost sheep, I'll go find him. Lost coin, I'll search high and low for her. Lost son who wants me dead, I will die for him. And I will give him the inheritance and I will welcome him back. Look at the heart of the Lord. You want me dead, I will die for you. And then I will give you everything. I will die and take your identity so that you can have mine, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He really is that good. It's like the message of the year for me, just into Bobby's life. I'm just constantly amazed. I didn't know how good you were, Lord. I didn't know. I didn't know. And then he shows us and, and now you, you, you ask differently. You don't ask for all of his things. You, you just want him because he's the full culmination of all joy. He's the greatest treasure. He's the greatest delight. He's the greatest comfort. He's the greatest hope. All of my dreams, all of your dreams, they find their perfection in Christ, not apart from him. I've heard it said before that a prisoner in the worst prison cell that has Christ is in heaven. And the man or woman in the greatest palace apart from Christ, this is hell itself. Where Jesus is, is the fullness of joy. So I want you to just remember a couple things from this. One, the Lord delights in finding the lost. And if we're to learn from the Pharisees, it's to say this, Jesus is singing a song of rejoicing over the lost as they come home. We get to sing the song too. 
Don't stand against it. And remember this, that before he's looking for servants, he's looking for sons. He's looking for sons. Remember that the, the younger son said, I don't deserve to be your son. I don't deserve it. He wouldn't even let him finish. The father grabbed him as if to say, you never lost your sonship, my boy. Come to me, come to me. I wanna thank him for that. Would you pray with me? And no matter where you are, I just, I feel like the Lord is gonna affirm to you today his delight over your life. I don't know if you feel like a servant or if you feel like a son or if you feel like the prodigal or if you feel like the sheep that has yet to be found. I want you to know the Lord delights in finding you. You will never get back on your own, but you don't have to try. Just look at him and say, help me. His great love. There is no other option for him. (laughs) There's no other option for him. Father, we love you. Thank you for your great love. It's unlike anything we've ever seen here on this earth. Who do we have in heaven but you? Who do we have on earth but you? I am the richest man alive if I have you. I am the most joyful man alive if I have you. You are all things, Jesus. Open up our eyes to see that you are the treasure. You are not the means to find it. You are the treasure, Lord. Heaven is not heaven if you are not at the center of it. So even in this life, teach us your goodness is more than we know that your song of rejoicing is always over us. And we wanna join in and be like our dad and celebrate when the lost have found a home, a home in you. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your words. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I ask you everything that was of you, would you plant it deep in the hearts of those who received, who had ears to hear and eyes to see you do the work, Jesus, because good points and, and, and a flow of a message will mean nothing if your spirit doesn't breathe, breathe life into it. And you can take the most foolish words or at least the most uh, poorly articulated words and make them life-changing words because you are the one who makes truth true. So do your work, Spirit of God. I rely on you. We all do. Please pierce our hearts with truth tonight. We love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So grateful to pray in Jesus' name. His name's a fortress that we live in. So I just pray that as we study the word tonight, you realize we're, we studied the living Jesus. We came away knowing this about him. He's better than we think. He's more generous and gracious than we think. If one sinner repents and heaven erupts with joy, just one, imagine the joy and rejoicing in the father's heart for you as you walk step by step with him. He just says, come on, come on. So we're gonna break into life groups now. Uh, here at Coast Hills, this is what we do on Wednesdays after the message. We're gonna, we're gonna break this down and talk about it a little bit in life group. So if you have a life group, you can join now. If you don't have a life group, you're gonna see the connect tab at the screen. So go ahead and jump in. We'd love to connect you with people. Uh, we bless you. Remember, he's so much better than we know and he sings songs of joy over you. God bless you.